We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. There shall be no depressed ramblings in the park today. Do you want to know why? Because Arsenal have beaten Crystal Palace by two goals to one. So this episode will be far more cheery than it was last week. We have an action-packed show this week. So much so that we have a bonus interview at the end with Tim Stillman. But before that, Paul, James and Elliot will be discussing the, um, the victory at Service Park. And they will be discussing the brilliant goal by Giroud the silky performance by Mesut Ozil, and many other things. So stay tuned for the podcast, and don't forget to listen at the end for the Tim Stillman interview. And before I vanish into the distance, I'd just like to say that um, Arsenal Vision has been going on for not even a year yet. We started like, halfway through last season. We want to advertise the podcast, so the podcast can be heard by more people around the world. That would make us very happy indeed. So what the plan is now is that at the start of every podcast, we should have a very short advert, about 30 seconds or so. Any money that comes in, can go back out and advertise and try and spread the word because this is only only a, a, a humble, small podcast. And we'd like it to grow and, and it would make us all very happy indeed. So yes, I just wanted to pass that message on and that we hope that the advertising isn't too much of a problem. Only 30 seconds or so, as I said. It would make us very happy if, if the podcast can be a very well-known and popular podcast in future. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you. I'll stop rambling now, and I'm going to hand you over to the guys. Enjoy the podcast, and I'll see you after Liverpool match. Surprise inclusion makes the difference in the end, but enough about Tim Stillman. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, and my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. 
Uh, we are going to be discussing Arsenal's triumphant and imminently foreseeable 2-1 victory over Crystal Palace at Crystal Palace. Uh, the reason for my uh, introduction this week is because we're going to do something a little different. And at the tail end of the usual conversation with the usual suspects, Tim Stillman's going to come on and give us uh, more articulate, sophisticated, and generally listenable content that will keep people coming back to this podcast again and again. And as always, we ask if you could go to whatever place has an option for providing feedback and reviews on a podcast and provide feedback or reviews on this podcast or any podcast really, because it's, you know, free country, unless you live somewhere where it's not a free country, in which case I'm, I'm terribly sorry about that. Um, we'd love to get your reviews and, and continue to grow. In any event, uh, the usual suspects are here. Uh, James, you can find him on uh, Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. Hello, James. Hey, guys. Hey, James. How are we doing? Good. How are you? I'm very well. Good to talk occasion. to you. And to you. Yeah, you. You too. Okay. Uh, and also, <laughs> is Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paz. Hello. Yeah, good to talk to you. How you doing? Good. I really enjoyed your intro, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, no, really appreciate it. Nice speaking with you. Um, okay, let's get into the game. First things first, it was a return to the lineup that saw us go on our long successful run at the back half of last season with the exception of a couple little stumbles towards the very, very end of last season. Um, I'll start with you, Paul. Any surprise to see Ramsey restored to the right and um, Cazorla handed back his midfield role and that, that Arson did go back to sort of that safety blanket of what had worked last season? Look, I'm just glad to get a word in edgeways around here. Now, okay, uh, good, good thoughts. So, James, <laughs> as far as that – okay, sorry. So, um, you, you know, we all have that who who we'd start stuff beforehand. So I had to go or write it down because I think I always rewrite what I think I thought I thought before the game. Um, so, but this was pretty close to it mainly because I think Arson gave the game away. He said he wanted an aggressive, more aggressive performance. I think. You can get into the pop psychology too much, but I guess you could simplify it that he didn't think there was enough fight in us last week and going to Selhurst Park, narrow pitch, boisterous crowd, uh, and also a lot of pressure on us and trying to play through pressure can be difficult. He wanted a good fighting team. Um, so that, I kind of thought, oops, that means I won't see my Theo. And... He would also lean back on a team that had been successful last year and had fought through thick and thin together. So short answer, uh, sorry, long answer, hmm. um, I was not surprised. It made sense for today. Uh, it was hard on Ox, but made sense for the fixture. Uh, Bellerin coming in, you could see Debushi being a fighting, aggressive player, but he may not last the 90 minutes at the pace it was going to be at and we we're going to be up against two pacey wingers so i think overall it made a lot of sense and we won yeah i mean it's always the ends justify the means um what about you james any any surprises i mean obviously we have a well-publicized uh bet about how many starts oxley chamberlain will get but was it really surprising for you to see him relegated to the bench and, and the manager go back to what had worked last season? No, not really. I I had actually predicted that that would be the lineup 
mostly because there did seem to be a slight added pressure on this game. It felt like a must-win game, even though it was only the second game of the season, following on from the fairly shocking defeat at home to West Ham. Um, so going back to a, a first eleven that had just had been so effective throughout the second half of last season made a lot of sense. It's an eleven that know each other very well, albeit in um, Ramsey's non-preferred position. Um, and it was good to see Bellerin back in the lineup. You know, I I do like Ox a lot. I'm obviously still very confident that he will over the course of the season get a minimum of 14 starts. But the thing with him is, um, and why I think we saw Ramsey is that individually he, he, he shows signs of, of brilliance, but I don't think he's quite got the maturity in him yet, he, the game management and intelligence, because, I mean, I think we've seen just over this, you know, the last season where um, as, as excellent as he was, there haven't actually been a great percentage of games that he's been involved in from the start that we've actually gone and, and grabbed the three points. Um, and whether that's down to... You know various other factors with you know how well the team is performing, but I think some of it comes down to some of his naivety in um, in our own half, um, his propensity to sometimes lose the ball, and I think a lot of what today was about was just making sure the team performance was was strong, and I think that was um, that was absolutely integral in in bringing in Ramsey, who you know as much as we we call him a right winger, he comes inside a lot, and, um, especially bringing back that base of of Santi and Coquelin, we looked. Like we were able to control the game a lot better with um, that midfield base instead of uh, the lineup that we saw against West Ham. Surprised at all that he handed Alexis the start, or was that sort of the sense you got from the noises he was making all week? No, I I think it it seemed very much the case that I think it was on Friday in the press conference he he made it pretty clear that he expected Alexis to start. Um, I and it, I mean I think he said just before the game that. He's ready to start the game. It's just whether or not he can make the full 90 minutes. And as we saw, he he did come off around the 70 minute 70 minute mark. And um, obviously, his tenacity, his skill, his what he brings to the team is, was absolutely um, huge for us. And actually, frankly, had he perhaps had a few more games under his belt, he you would probably expect him to score at least one or two more. I've not. I'm still not sure whether it's been given as an own goal. I imagine it was, but um, it was. Yeah. He. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I was. I especially. You know. I think with most players um, who would have gone through the summer he has, you would have anticipated them to probably have been rested for for this game too. But you know, just given the kind of character he is, um, just given how how much of a propensity he has to constantly stay fit um, and and constantly be at the top of his game and his love for. Um, for football, you, you just felt like he's the type of character that would be able to start this game. Paul, it was a dominant start, and it, it was the kind of start that we really needed, I think, to get the confidence back after last week. There was some great build-up, great passing, but it, at one point it started to look like we were having a competition to see how many passes we could make inside the opposition penalty area. Um, when the goal finally did came, I, I think it was more than deserved, and we'll, we'll get to the goal itself in a moment, but what do you think was working in that first half hour or even longer than that that allowed us to be so dominant that maybe was missing the week before? Um, for, I, th I think they came out pretty fired up. I mean, I was worried with all this talk about wanting more aggression and energy and yet the pressure from a, a poor start that we put ourselves under last 
last week that instead what we'd get is just a crazy frenetic uh, rush and the ball, you know, not controlling the ball. But I, I, you know, for 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 your your point that maybe we had plenty of build up, but it, it felt maybe a little frustrating. We weren't finishing them off. Uh, at least we were. We had, in large part, we had possession. We were knocking it around. It was going to feet. We were moving it around. We were moving it from side to side. Um, you know, they were countering. We'd counter back. Um, but we moved it very well. So I, I was pretty heartened that it seemed to be not only that we were moving the ball around and it was to feet, um, that we were creating chances. Um, maybe not quite as many as it warranted but but still plenty of good kind of goal math or at least uh, in the in the box action we've, we've seen we saw it last week and we saw it in in previous times towards the end of the last season a lot of possession a lot of semicircular passing and this had more incision there were runs there was there was that spark and creativity that we we sometimes lack even though we have the ball um, you know, there was lots of good movement. Uh, Ozil a couple of times getting out left. Um, and as the half, half progressed, I think Coquelin, uh, you know, as we talk about moving the ball around, Coquelin, I think, was trying to prove he can and yeah. remind us he can do some cross-field passes. I think he had three in the game, something like two in the first half, but that were probably just the ticket to move from side to side. And a third in the second half that... Uh, hit their defender, but it was actually a pretty good pull that put them under pressure and may have gone out for a corner. So I thought we were moving around pretty well, not quite getting the uh, reward it warranted when we, you know, we'll talk about the goal, but when we got to the goal, I was a little surprised because I thought they were going to, I thought I was going to have to sweat longer to get it. It just felt like that. This was going to be a another game where somebody scored on 40 minutes. So I, I was pretty happy we got a goal in nice and early so I could relax and enjoy our dominance. Yeah, it was an extremely relaxing game from there. Um, <laughs> James, how much of that improvement in play do you think had to do with adding with the return of Bellerin, getting in more crosses, more overlapping runs? We were very, very narrow against West Ham. And we actually saw West Ham uh, lose. Turns out they're not 1970 Brazil. Uh, newsflash. Uh, we saw them lose this weekend, and they really got shredded on the wings, which is something we never really threatened them with. Do you, do you think a part of the reason we looked better was better balance, including more wide play to, uh, today? Yeah, I definitely think that was very much the case. Um, Alexis, who obviously um, has the ability to come in centrally, was... was um, Supported well by Monreal. We saw several times where Monreal broke through um, into and around the 18-yard box. Um, Bellerin overlaps and has seems to have a great relationship that's formed with him and Ramsey. Um, and obviously, we were then able to congest the middle of the park a lot better as well, given how much it was our fullbacks are able to attack that space. I mean, we'd seen in that West Ham game, we talked about Giroud going out wide and, and searching to go into the channel with, with just no one supporting him in the box, no one coming on the end of the any crosses. Um, but I think a lot of that also was just how much slicker and how much more confident and how much better the distribution was in, in the final third and in Crystal Palace's half. Um, I think some of that was, was to do with they having it, someone like Sanchez back, being able to bring Santi back into um, that kind of Perlo-esque role. Um, and having a player like Ramsey, um, albeit out on the right, to 
he's you know he's a lot better in possession of the ball in tight spaces, retaining um, possession than someone like an Oxlade Chamberlain who just like who often just likes to drive at players. He he, he takes on those um, sort of more riskier um, uh, challenges in in a match rather than a Ramsey who who's a little more subtle to create a little bit of space and um, and create those little one twos with the likes of Giroud and and Ozil. So I think it, it was a combination of that. I thought the the, the front three really combined well with the, the way in which the fullbacks were able to attack that space. And I think um, that allowed us to create plenty of opportunities throughout the match. And, I mean, we saw the second goal came from a pretty strong crush from, from Bellerin to Sanchez. Uh, absolutely. Let, let's talk about the first goal first. Um, uh, a beautiful volley from my main man, Olivier Giroud. And uh, a really excellent technique. The cross was fantastic. It was good buildup. As far as that goal goes, Paul, is that is that really where Giroud excels? I know at the time, what I tweeted is I think when it comes to a flick, uh, a layoff, a volley, a stab, you know, one-touch technical skill that you have to pull off, I think Giroud is really as good as anyone. Is is that really, and what we saw from his goal today, where he excels when it's not, doesn't require pace, explosiveness, beating a man, but just really allows him to use his his instincts and his technique? Yeah, he's a he's a glorified tap-in merchant. No, I'm just joking. I, um, I, I'll buy that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think there's truth to it, but I don't want him to sell it. I mean, it was he, he can have great technique, and he had it today. Um, I mean, it was a superb finish. Um, and I, I mean, think just contrast that. Sorry, I, I know I just jumped in, but I mean, you could, you contrast that with the chance he had against West Ham where he had a lot of space and time in the box, took yeah. three or four touches to try to get it under control, didn't have the composure, and then such an elegant, beautiful technical skill that he pulls off today. Is it just about when it's instinctive for him, it comes a lot more naturally? It seems to be. I mean, I hope that's not like the full stop on him as a player in his career. I mean, everything evolves. It seems to be – certainly you'd say – that's a strength of his, that that first-time finish. Um, for some reason, I thought it was on his right foot, but it wasn't. It was on his left foot, of course. Of course. Um, and to your point, I mean, how the goal came about, it was through width. I, I agree with James, especially early. The width was largely uh, brought about by us holding on to the ball, I- interplay, Ramsey on the right, and you know, Sanchez cutting in, and in this case, Ozil swinging out left. I mean, and, and on a number of occasions, he put in some really dangerous balls from the left. I think as the game progressed, maybe more of our fullbacks overlapping gave that width. But certainly in the early stages, it was interchange, interplay, and movement that, that gave us the width and then stirred them up enough that Giroud had a little space in the middle. So, um, you know, superb finish. Uh, Ozil's cross in was a fizzer. Um, you know, w- we often have those kinds of plays, but not the results. Today, Giroud got himself a little space and, and dispatched it beautifully. So, very satisfying as a as a a move, uh, given all the times that could have been the outcome and wasn't. Yeah, and and then. Unfortunately, you know, from that moment, it really looked like Palace might crumble, and it it didn't happen. And it's because they got a goal really from nothing. They hadn't had a a, a chance inside the box that I can remember. Um, 
but there was some really casual play. As far as their goal, James, um, how do you want to uh, 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 share the blame around? First of all, quick question. Do you, do you think there's any responsibility there for Czech to try to get to that? It looked like maybe he didn't get his, his arm fully extended, or is, is that being overly harsh? I saw a lot of criticism aimed towards Czech after that goal, and I've got to be honest, that wasn't my impression of it at all. I thought it was struck extremely well right into the far post. It didn't look like a shot that I would expect a keeper to save, given his positioning. Um, and I think he was positioned where he was, given how far wide they were. Um, and I, so I, I'm, I'm certainly no goalkeeping expert, but I don't really think he was at fault, at least from my point of view. Um, I found that goal a little strange, to be honest. I mean, first of all, um, the challenge from, um, was it Koscielny? Yeah, um, that's back-to-back no, -back weeks. That, that's back-to-back -back yeah, weeks no of Koscielny failing yeah. to step up and... and throw his body in front of a shot at costing us a goal. Yeah, I mean, the it was it was a really half-hearted block. I mean, he turned his back to the shot. It was uh, really poor to see. Um, I think there could be some blame um, headed towards Ozil, who, given the position he was in, should have been the man tracking Jay Ward. He was just, I mean, he, he, he was there when, when the ball was first crossed in. He had plenty of time. He was ahead of the, the man, and... He just didn't look behind him, and he, he was rather casual. But that being said, you know, it's not necessarily Ozil's role to be, um, to be marking that man and, and to be defending in that manner, perhaps. I don't you know. I really have to see it again, but I don't know if Alexis Sanchez is meant to be the, the person who should be defensively tracking Ward. But I was shocked I think so. to see just how much space yeah. he had. Um, and I think in that situation, given that Alexis hasn't followed the man, You've got to look to measure, um, and he's got to pick up the pieces there. So um, I think it's a little bit of blame to, um, to both of them. Um, Mezza is certainly not renowned for his defensive contribution. I thought, he had, I mean, I'm sure the country, I thought he had a fantastic game, but I mean, if, if I had a slight negative, that would be um, it would be for that. Um, but yeah, I think you know, Koscielny certainly um, could have done a lot better. And as you said, I mean, it is two games now. A defender I rate extremely highly. Um, that hasn't really performed. I mean, I, you know, obviously, goal aside, I thought he did play well, but I, you can't really afford those types of mistakes consistently. And so, hopefully, that's something we'll see improve over the uh, the coming games too. Yeah, I mean, that that's really just a, <clears throat> a a commitment thing, right? I mean, late late in the game, Mertesacker threw himself at a shot and got a great block. And I saw a lot of, obviously, uh, a, a lot of people on Twitter bringing up that. Petr Cech isn't used to seeing his defenders turn their back on shots, you know, and how John Terry would attack shots. And it's all silly, but ultimately, Koscielny has to do better there. He can't just give the guy space and then turn his back and watch the shot go flying in. So it, I don't really think it came from anything they did effectively, but it definitely changed the pattern of the game a little. I thought our dominance subsided after that, and there was a little tentative play, which you'd expect. But one of the big moments is that Coughlin got carded um, and then didn't get carded just moments later when it looked like he could have gotten a second yell. It was a really bizarre refereeing performance all around, and I think some of the bizarre decisions went in our favor. Not all of them, but some of them. But, Paul, did you think – forget the first yellow. Let's just say the first yellow was a yellow card. How lucky do you think we were to dodge the bullet? There were two bullets we really dodged, one in the second half, but the one in the first half that came right after his yellow card – 
how lucky did you think we were to dodge the bullet there in, in terms of him avoiding a red card? Very. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, you, you have these discrete decisions. It's a yellow, and then the next thing's a yellow, so it must be a red. Uh, I think, to be honest, I think the referee got it right, but I think we were very lucky because they were both yellows. Uh, but it, when you tote up his sins, you know, did he deserve to go to hell? Um, probably for being a little foolish for risking it, yes. But in terms of his negativity on the pitch, I think it's the right decision. And the other way around, it would have been the right decision. Um, but he's a very lucky boy because uh, they were both – in normal play, those are both yellows. I, I think the referee was right not to send him off. It would have ruined the game. And it really would have been for foolishness as opposed to a guy who deserved to leave the field. Um, but this was our turn to get lucky. I, I think in the second half, the referee got it about right, and we got it right getting him off the pitch. Um, but in a, to be fair, in a com combative match, um, it's not surprising that your DM, who's been told to be out there and be aggressive, can get him slightly the wrong side of things, get a little a ahead of the count. Um, and so, in a way, I think it's wholly appropriate. We were getting stuck in and making challenges. So from that standpoint, I have plenty of sympathy for him. But he was a lucky boy. Yeah, I, th I thought he was lucky. Now, to be fair, I also thought he was very, very good on the day for the most part. I, I thought his passing was sharper. His positional awareness was better. In general, I thought he, he contributed well. I mean, there was... One silly moment, I think it was late in the second half, where he decided he was going to try to dribble two guys right on the midfield stripe and, and had it taken away, and that created a little bit of danger. But all in all, I, I thought I thought he did a lot better, and to be fair, everybody did a lot better than they did against West Ham. Uh, James, in the second half, I thought it was a lot less enthralling. I mean, we, we certainly didn't have the swashbuckling play, but... We still created chances. We still had opportunities. And and before we get to the winning goal and, and the other issue with Coughlin and some of the, the substitutions, I just want to ask about goal scoring in general. Having watched these two games now, the first game, different kind of pattern of play. We didn't create a lot. We didn't have a lot of chances. We needed someone to sort of rescue the game. The second game, we created a lot of chances and didn't do anything with them. Do you have any concern now having seen these two games and, and especially the second game where we did create a lot that we don't have enough players or the right player in the squad to really convert the chances we create into goals. I mean, I'd be curious to see the XG, our, our favorite stat on this game. I'm sure it was more than the two goals we did get. Are we missing goal scoring threat in the side? Um, I don't know. I mean, we're saying that after a game in which Giroud dispatched uh, an excellent um, volley, and I think you know we ob obviously look towards Alexis to score a large brunt of their goals, and you know there's still the argument that could be made that he's still going to need a, a, a game or two under his belt before he really finds his um, best finishing touch or touches. Um, you know, he really should have put away that chance within the first ten minutes where he had two bites at the cherry. Um, and he was obviously somewhat unlucky since it was cleared off the line. I think we often do say with Santi that as talented a player as he is, given some of the positions he gets into, he should probably score a, a few more goals. Um, but that being said, in a player like Ramsey, we do have 
um, the type of central midfielder that's able to make the driving runs, and when he's confident and when he's on form, you expect him to add plenty of goals to the team. Um, you know, we we had a player like Theo Walcott on the bench who wasn't even used from the bench, who um, is nothing if he if not you know productive in in both assists and uh, goal scoring. So I do think there's there's options. Obviously, you know, we've talked about it a lot that. The, the striker in, in, in that of Olivier Giroud can be improved upon, but I do think there are enough goals in this team, especially if you get someone like uh, Alex to, to make a big step up from last season and, and to start contributing to the team too. And of course, I mean, we've, you know, I think given the injury, we've, we haven't really talked much about Danny Welbeck at all. And he's a player that, given his physical strength, his ability to get into certain positions, and actually, you know, his goal scoring form in the Euros, is a player that should be getting more goals and finishing a lot better than he does. So you do wonder if maybe um, if he gets a run of games, if he manages to score a couple of goals in the league, whether he's able to um, add more to his game. And I, I think, you know, I do think he is that the exact type of player that has the propensity to do so. Um, but you know, that, you know, that obviously based on what I just said, we are talking about a couple of what ifs of of mm -hmm. players improving upon from last season, and so there is some, um, you know, there's some grey area there. And I, in an ideal world, I think Arsene would would love to just as much, if not more so, than we would to to bring in someone like Kareem that can bring in guaranteed um, added goals to the squad. So um, yeah, it's it, it's something. I mean, in, in some, it's something that certainly can be added to. But I I wouldn't be too concerned about it going. Um, into the rest of the season if we, if we can't add there. Fair enough. I, I do have a little bit of concern. I mean, the, it won't surprise anyone to know that I, apart from the goal, which was an exceptional piece of skill, I thought Giroud kind of struggled today. Um, I thought there were a couple other chances that maybe could have done a little better with. I, I don't think he was terrible. I just, I, I think ultimately we had one of those very Arsenal days where we passed it around inside their area a lot and we had a lot of chances that we just didn't find the final ball for. And, you know, one of the one of the players that's so guilty of that is Santi Cazorla. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a lay a pass laid back to him on the, what, the edge of the 18-yard box, maybe even just a step inside it, that he blasted five yards over the crossbar. And for a player who's as skillful as he is, he continues to not be able to shoot on target from open play, which is which is crazy. And I also think Ramsey is, is struggling. Um, I think he's struggling to know exactly what his role is uh, with with sort of being out wide and drifting inside and when to shoot and when to deliver. I thought the time when he played that cross inside the box on a counterattack, it was a clever idea, but the shot was probably on. Then later he shot when there was a pass on. It's it just still, to, to me, especially with Sanchez not in form, feels like maybe we're lacking another player who who you really trust to put shots on target and really challenge a goalkeeper and score goals. Um, but enough about that. Let's get back to our defensive frailties. Uh, Paul, Mark Blonau, uh, I believe is how you would say that. It's got the thing through the O. Do you guys know what that's called? The slash through the O? That... A third twist. Is that what it's called? Yeah, or, really? or that's a, a, a dresser system from Ikea, one or the other. It's probably both. Well, Mark Blowendahl, uh, you can find him at Mark Blowendahl on Twitter, asks, what happened to our defensive setup? No cohesion at all the last two games. Um, 
I, I tend to agree. I mean, I, I, I s- sort of sat there the second half thinking we look like we could really concede from any attack. And there was a period where we looked all over the shop. Czech doesn't really look assured in goal. Mertesacker and Koscielny didn't seem to have any cohesion. Are you worried that something has gone wrong at the back? Is it is it the swap of a new goalkeeper that they're adapting to or just early season rust? What do you what do you make of what looks to be a little bit of a shaky performance again at the back? Well, I think that's overstated. I I wouldn't subscribe to the shaky of the back theory. Uh, I mean definitely some moments and I think anytime you lob that ball uh, into that zone where Czech and the two centre-backs are still fi- finding their way. There's still going to be a bit of tentativeness as to who goes for it and who grasps it. Uh, certainly Palace had their chances, but Palace at home with that crowd behind them, lots of pace on the wing, you know, uh, they, were th- they were there to counter and uh, four set pieces, crosses, corners, you know, that's going to give you a lot of moments. And while, you know, I see what you're talking about, I still think given the mix of the day, it was always going to be a bit like that. You're never going to uh, feel 100% comfortable. I mean, the the goal, I, I think you guys made some good points on the goal. Um, they hit the post, so another another argument in that favor. And they had a couple of other moments. Um, where they threatened for sure. Um, so it wasn't our most assured performance, but it was probably always going to be a, a little challenging. Um, I wasn't, it, it, after all of that, I still wasn't that concerned that we weren't playing well at the back. I think specifically with Cochrane, and back to our earlier conversation, that that saving tackle he made on the um, while they were uh, hitting us on the counter, and it, it was not just a great tackle, he kind of turned around quickly and started a counterattack, which I think was quite threatening in the end. Um, you know, we still had a lot of good play at the back. I think Montreal did very well. I think uh, Bellerin did really well, both against a lot of pace. Um, and so, yeah, we're still finding our way in uh, in terms of, the, especially in the center of that defense, um, but I thought it was okay. Uh, I know what you're talking about, but I, not. Let's just say on the the spectrum, the needle isn't nearly as far into the red, I think, as as your feeling was for me, anyway. As your feeling was, I thought we were okay, given the nature of the game and the day, and the cauldron that is Selhurst Park. He said slightly over dramatically. Look, I, I, I don't a... think it was shambolic, Paul. I, I just no. think I think that there were moments where it didn't feel as assured. One of the things that was really enjoyable yeah. last season is I felt we had developed a, a certain assuredness defensively, um, despite feeling like we didn't have an assuredness at keeper. With us being in there, we really went through a period where we looked very self-assured defensively, and I, I just thought there was a lot of that last-ditch calamity-style defending and. Maybe we rode our luck a little. And to your point, that's always going to happen away um, when you're protecting a lead late, especially. Some of that, though, I think is down to check. Maybe still looking like he's trying to get comfortable. And maybe some of that is after the performance he had uh, in the first match. Just the pressure and the nervousness was ratcheted up even more. Um, so so that could be part of it. But let, let's get 
get on to some of the the positives because ultimately this is a fantastic win. It's an important win. It's a good away win at a place that's going to be tough for a lot of people to take three points. And James, I think we're all going to be in agreement here, but for me, the man of the match is Mesut Ozil. And Stephen Fisher, or SGF80 on Twitter, asks, what's smoother, Ozil's passing or Barry White drinking a bourbon while singing my first, last, and everything? Um, is is he your man of the match today, and what do you make of his performance generally? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, he was absolutely excellent. Um, I think I read a statistic that suggested he only missed one pass in the entire match. Which that is correct. Whoever plays in his position is is no mean feat, um, and I mean, all of our excellent chances seem to come through him, the uh, the Sanchez double chance, uh, he, he, he spotted him excellently on the counter, that disguise pass for Ramsey in the second half was absolutely exquisite, um, I mean, and also that the, uh, the back heel touch when he's facing away from goal on the touchline to completely bamboozle the guy who's named it looks like Square, or is it like Soy? Soare? Um, yeah. Why <laughs> that one? Yes. <laughs> the, there's a great, um, there's a great uh, video clip zooming in, kind of past the play, and the Palace fans are applauding the, the skill from from Ozil. It really was special. Right, and there's that that one um, fan in particular who's like like very actively almost encouraging that 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 piece of skill. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was he was exquisite. I mean, you know. The way he, he he's able to to hold to hold the ball in in the areas that he does and a spot the pass that he can and um, and create space for himself it's when he's on form like that I mean you could see just how much more um, as a t- how much more we tick as a team and um, the number of chances we created like I said I mean it, it seemed to all come through Mesut and it was absolutely fantastic to watch and without without a doubt I mean I know Santi was given the man of the match but I think that's uh, you know, really discredits Mesut's performance. I thought he was utterly excellent on the day. The crazy thing about his Ozil... contribution. Sorry, Ali, I was, I was just going to add. I thought his contribution on the counters was superb. I mean, he really was. Every second pass was Ozil, and one or two times he ended up on the end of those moves and had a shot on goal. Um, it was nice to see him going for it. But I really thought, uh, you know, he really helped us move the ball from side to side, and on the counter, he was superb today. Yeah, I mean, five key passes, 98.2% passing accuracy, which was uh, one missed pass, basically. He put in several accurate crosses. He had an assist for the opening goal. And the real shame of it is he he could have had several assists uh, had some of the chances he created been put away. Um, th- there was some statistic making the rounds today on Twitter that I thought was interesting that basically said he had created like 150 chances at Real Madrid uh, leading to, I think, like 35 assists or 30 assists or something. He'd created like 135 chances at Arsenal, leading to like 13 assists. So, I mean, he's definitely not getting the help on the end of those chances he created. Paul, I'll give you a chance to, to go on about Messit because it's sexy and fun. Um, your man of the match, and, and what did you think of him today? Yeah, no, he was he was superb today. Um, fully deserving of man of the match, uh, kind of for the second. We used to have that uh, outside of X, I think it was often Cazorla, who's your man of the match competition. And I think the two that come to mind just behind, well, not just behind him, but in the next slot. I thought for all we talked about, I was really refreshed by Coquelin kind of 
putting in a performance that was required in midfield and you know ignoring getting ahead of the count in on the the red the red card threat i thought he was really good i thought monreal was really good on on the left as well i think we did a really good job in general holding back their their threat on the wings apart from a couple of notable occasions so those to me stood up but but yeah i mean head and shoulders above everybody ozil just weaved his magic he was uh, swishing that wand around Goodo today. Yeah, he he is he when he when he plays like that, it, it's really special to watch. And I think a lot of it works because that Cazorla and Coughlin pairing works in a way that the Ramsey and Coughlin pairing just does not seem to. Um, Cazorla was great today, and and he's just a pair of safe feet that you can give the ball to in midfield and take the pressure off Coughlin to have to create the tack and, and he gets out of those tight spaces and he gets the ball to mess at Ozil, which is his job. And Ozil, what he can do with one touch is so spectacular. You know, there are players who will get it. I I contrast his performance with Ramsey's a little bit because Messit would pop up on the left a lot or sort of in the left channel in midfield and, and Ramsey was doing the same on the right. And Messit, everything he did was one touch and quick and on the move. And Ramsey just needed that extra touch today and a lot of it wasn't coming off for him. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Alexis Sanchez. Paul, stay with you for a second. I get the feeling that Sanchez just wants to win more than anyone else. And that desire to win and that willingness to do whatever it takes to win is why, obviously, we as fans love him, but what makes him such a special player? Because on a day when, again, you know, he took seven shots and only two were on target, his passing was poor at, you know, 78%. He was dispossessed five times. He still won the game, and he won the game not so much with technical brilliance, but vision, awareness, hustle, and then a breathtaking leap to win a ball that he was never favored for. For you, Paul, is, is Alexis Sanchez a player who, even when technically it's not coming off, when he's rusty, his desire to win and his willingness to do whatever it takes to make that happen makes him one of those players you just have to have in the side? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, he, I, I saw some quote during the week about him, uh, you know, getting pissed off anytime anybody ever gets the ball off him because it's his ball. And he has that kind of, I'd almost call it childish rather than childlike passion for football where, uh, you know, you take the ball off him, he's going to be pissed off. He wants every ball. And I, we saw it a couple of times today with him pouncing on turnovers and turning them into chances. Um, you know, every it's not just every game he comes to play, every ball he wants. And that's why he wrote, uh, the commentator said something about Alexis doing something he's not known for in terms of winning that header. And I'm thinking, well, maybe not to you, but he's kind of known to it for Arsenal players after, you know, the, his contribution during the FA Cup. I mean, it, it was the same thing. He rises up because the ball's coming near him. He wants that ball. So I thought that was a big piece of it. I thought him cutting inside, as we've talked about a lot, worked really well today for whatever reasons. I'd like to go back and look at it with the, with Ozil going the other way, creating space. You know, that, that was a key dynamic. Sanchez coming in, Ozil going out. We saw it time and time again. Um, Sanchez is really good on the break, Ozil on the break. I mean, there were a lot, a lot of pieces of their play. Santi, um, those three in particular really hooked up well. I thought... You know, credit to Ramsey, I think he did a really good grafting job, which was what was called for today. But the one-touch stuff was really coming from the other side. 
Yeah, I, I think also, look, so much of what makes a team work, especially when your best player in the team is Mesut Ozil, is players being where they're supposed to be, where they're expected to be, making the runs they need to, moving the way they need to. And with Alexis on the left and and Kazorla deeper, Ozil seems to feel comfortable knowing where his teammates are going to be. He feels comfortable knowing where the runs are going to come from. And he looked a lot more confident with his teammates today. And I, I just think Sanchez is such an intelligent, but such a hungry player. And he's one of those rare players that even when he's badly, badly out of form, there is still a great reason to have him in the side. And you have to have players like that who will win a match for you, even when they're not on their game. Um, and, you know, if Sanchez can round into form sooner rather than later, that only makes it better. Because I do think towards the tail end of last season, we sort of stopped seeing his best technical quality and he was getting by on effort. And obviously we're seeing that now because he's rusty. But in the middle of the season there and early last season when he was really on top of his game and the rest of the team wasn't, it would be great to see that kind of play from him now that hopefully his teammates can can also support him and and have their best play at the same time too. So it's encouraging that he can still contribute like that, even when he's certainly not in his best form. Um, James, we we dodged another bullet in the second half with Coughlin, and and he probably could have gotten a red card. I'm I'm not sure that he quote unquote deserved a red card, but certainly in in other situations, players would have been sent off. We got a little lucky. But it was interesting to me that the first move was Oxlade-Chamberlain for Coughlin, and then Arteta came on later. What did you make of of Arteta not coming on initially, and then when he did come on, what did you think of the performance he had? Because I, I thought he looked pretty good, actually, for the, the 16 or so minutes he was on the pitch, or 26 minutes. Or 16. Yeah, so I think 16. at first, certainly my take on it was that the importance was of that game as the game was still a, a little open, we were still... Um, willing to take on Palace, we weren't quite sort of receding into our into our ten-man uh, wall setup and um, shell. Was that the legs of Ramsey were um, integral in, in the centre of the midfield alongside Sanzi, um, while we were still transitioning um, consistently between attack and defence. Um, so I think it was a further indication of the fact that, especially against um, a quick and physical. A midfield like that of um, Palace is certainly in their wide players. Perhaps Arsenal doesn't quite have the faith in um, in Arteta to be able to handle those types of situations. But what we did see was was once Arteta came on, um, and you know Gibbs followed fairly soon after, we had them had fallen back into that um, defensive shell that's often you know associated with that Man City game where we were playing a lot of men behind the ball. Um, restricting a lot of space to Palace's forwards uh, whilst conceding a, a large amount of the possession. Um, and I actually thought I thought he did an excellent job. I mean, that block in particular for um, their number 14, Lee, um, when he probably should have taken it first time, was, was a really vital challenge, an excellent challenge. And um, he was hustling hard. He was he was coming in with, with quick challenges, making it very difficult for Palace midfielders. He, you could see him immediately the, the leadership qualities he has, the way in which he was organising um, the team was, was absolutely superb. And um, as nerve-wracking as the last 10 or 15 minutes were, you, you did feel that um, assuredness there with um, the likes of Moneseca, Arteta coming in. And even without Coquelin, a player that um, is often so integral in those types of situations. So... Um, I, yeah, I, you know, obviously the, the fear is 
given how unwilling Arsene was to make the direct replacement immediately for Coquelin to Arteta is how much faith does um, he have in Arteta when Coquelin is unavailable against um, either the big sides or you know those the, the, the slightly superior maybe the Swansea's and um, the better teams in in, in and around the uh, middle of the table who have athletic and and strong midfields. I mean, is it we're, we're, when we're drawing when we're still chasing a game? Um, how effective can Arteta be? I mean, we know he's fantastic um, at distributing, retaining possession. He's a very intelligent player positionally, um, but you do fear for his legs. So I mean, you can see why there are certain um, sections of the fan base that are looking for um, a, a, another defensive midfielder to come in that you know has a bit of both of those qualities. You know, the the like defensive um, strength and also the ability to retain retain the ball and, and transition the play. But um, unfortunately, there's you know there's well, I don't know, but I'm I'm not sure how many of those types of players there are out there in world football. Yeah, not a lot. And I mean, ultimately. You made the important point is it's just with Arteta, you don't know what his legs will allow him to do anymore. But I, I certainly thought he played well while he was out there. And it, it's good to see. I mean, it kind of worried me when Ox came on instead of Arteta because I said, well, gosh, you know, if Arteta's meant to be the backup to Coughlin and the manager won't even use him in a straight swap when we're defending a lead, then I don't know, you know, what scenario you could expect Arteta to come in and play the holding role, but but he did come in on 74 minutes and do that. I actually thought Oxlade-Chamberlain was spectacular when he came on, uh, by and large. Um, it's a player that that really is, I think, banging on the door to a breakthrough, but it it's tough. I mean, we, we've gone over it and over it and over it. He, he definitely looks like he can do something special every time he's on the pitch, but he plays in a position that has a lot of competition and the irony is there's no one player in the squad that can definitely say they deserve that wide position on the right. I mean Ramsey isn't really a fit there but but he gets it done. Walcott is a fit there but doesn't seem to be the choice for the manager, but he has the experience and and the track record of scoring goals and providing assists. Um Oxley Chamberlain obviously wants that position when Welbeck comes back, he's going to be definitely a candidate for that. So it's it's hard to know, you know, what he has to do to really make that his own. Um, more goals like the one I guess he scored against Chelsea, Chelsea wouldn't hurt, and fewer turnovers like the one he had against West Ham. Um, Paul, let's talk quickly about a player that that is obviously one of your favorites, Theo Walcott. Unused substitute today. Last season we saw a situation where <clears throat> um, – he had kind of become a player that you could only see Hat playing in very, very, very specific circumstances. Uh, Giroud was getting the starts ahead of him center forward, and we wouldn't bring him on if we were defending a lead. And he doesn't really make sense to come on when we're trailing and the team's parking the bus. So he basically didn't play all the way up until the very, very end of the season when he had the hat trick and then got the start in the FA Cup final. Um, what do you think Theo's role is right now and do you expect that the manager still has big plans for him, or do you worry that maybe it's going to be another tough season of a lot of unused substitute bench appearances? No, I worry about it. Um, uh, when you think that Welbeck has to come back, and, I mean, Welbeck started 27 games for us last season. 
and seven from the subs bench. Now, the, there were a lot of gaps in our season for people to make a good run because of injuries, but, you know, he was a very important player last year. Everything but goals, basically. I mean, he, he, uh, uh, he his contribution all over the field is something Theo can't match. Um, <clears throat> but he can provide a lot of that threat um, that, pushes defenders back and the space that Theo creates. So yes, as as Theo's agent, it worries me that he's 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 up again, you know, Jack Wilshire um will be coming in to compete to do the Ramsey thing on the right wing. Um I think Theo could well struggle and his best opportunity will either be games in which Alexis is rested, which is none, or uh, games in which the manager thinks uh, Theo will be the better attacking option instead of Giroud, and I really think it might be set the second striker option <clears throat> where Theo sees his most um, meaningful role in the team at the moment. So um, I, I think the best hope for Theo is he starts scoring goals when others struggle, and it's hard for him to be left out of the team. But, yeah, I'd worry for his role in the team um, over the next two, three, four months. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly looks. And I would, you would never have expected this like two or three seasons ago. If I said to you, what's Theo's long-term role at Arsenal? He's going to stay. He's going to sign. You'd say he's going to be our starting right wide forward for a long time and occasionally start at striker, you know, on, on a rare occasion. Yeah. It now looks like the only way Walcott gets a start is in place of Giroud. It doesn't appear that that right wing position is his. Um, yeah. Uh, right? I mean, Oxlade-Chamberlain seems to be preferred there. Ramsey, Walcott, I mean, uh, pardon me, Wilshire, potentially Danny Welbeck. But Theo now just seems to be the backup striker, which is a very bizarre kind of con- situation for a player who was a very effective right wide forward for a lot of his Arsenal career. Um, Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, yeah. He said he wanted to play centrally, and now that's all he can play, and he's not our first choice there. Uh, Let's kind of wrap up and and just quickly look at the game as a whole. I mean, we we finished it strong in the sense that, you know, we we won the game, we we defended the lead, we got the three points. That's the most important thing. But the question now, James, is after what we saw week one and what we saw week two of the season, you know, the two games combined – did this do enough to really restore your faith that, okay, it was a blip. We came out of the gates beautifully today. We wanted a very difficult place to win. We're right back in a title race. I really still believe in us. Or would you say it was just tentative enough and, and just challenging enough that you still need to see more to really have all your confidence restored that you had going into the season? Um, I mean, I think no matter how we perform today, you're, you're still going to need more games going ahead to be able to fully restore quite the confidence we had because of just how, I mean, out of the blue that performance against West Ham was. But I am able to write it off as a one-off, and I, you know, I don't. Arsenal talked as, as you've mentioned, certainly the, um, you know, before the game he talked about maybe over, or, sorry, just after the game he talked about overconfidence, and later on he talked about maybe we're a little too nervous. I mean. It's very difficult to put a finger on how we manage the performance like that, but obviously there are, as Paul Lace mentioned, the you know such fine margins in in football and the way that games pan out. 
Um, I don't really think we could have expected a much better performance in some ways than we did today against Palace. I mean, it's a tough place to go, Sellers Park, but just off the back of a, um, a really, really um, strange result home to West Ham. And frankly, I mean, I think you know if we'd really um, put away the the early dominance that we had in the uh, first sort of 25 minutes of the game, we could have really had that game put to bed. So I think the way we approached it right from the off was was about as good as one could expect. And um, it was nice to see the really you know the gritty components of the side, the defensive sturdiness with our backs against the wall in the last 10, 15 minutes, and the ability for us to really change the shape of the team, bringing on Kieran Gibbs, bringing on Arteta, um, you know, even with Coquelin having to go off. And I think, you know, as, as nervous and as um, tough as it was to watch in the moment, I think if you look back to that, Palace didn't really look like scoring. I mean, I know they had that header from the corner that went straight into Czech's hands, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I feel pretty confident after that result. That's pretty much what I was expecting and hoping for. And, and obviously, we'll find out a little more against the the quality of Liverpool at home at, at the Emirates. And you know, you think if we if we get a win there, then I think most people will be feeling pretty pretty good about the team again, and, and really think that it's a squad that can go on for the majority of the season and really challenge for the title. I think that's totally fair. Ultimately, for me, the thing that worried me the most about the loss to West Ham wasn't the conceding. It wasn't the two goals. Because I have felt, and now maybe I'm I'm not as convinced, but I still kind of think defensively, as weird as it sounds, we're going to be okay. What worried me in the first game was how few chances we created, how blunt we looked, how we didn't use wide positions well, how ineffective we were in our build-up play, incoherent, and we didn't really create the chances. So for me, the, the one really nice thing about this, at least for the first 30 or 40 minutes, we created bags of chances. We had lots of opportunities. Then late in the game, we had counterattacks that probably could have resulted again in more opportunities. Um, I think we could have had a lot of goals today. We could have been home and dry really early on. And the fact that we didn't get them isn't great, but the fact that we looked threatening again, I think was what I needed to see to feel good. So I take a lot of confidence from that part of it. Paul, where does this rate for you on the scale of restoring lost confidence? I know you didn't lose a lot of confidence from the first game, but did this really put you right back on top of, of the mountain or or do you still have some question marks after these two games? Yeah, I'd say more from the first game. I just suspended trading, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it was like yeah, I get it. the market took a dip. I'm like, get my money out of the – you know, I, I decided you just can't judge anything on one game, but if you had to, we're screwed. So let's not judge anything on one game. I think you got to give it 10 to 15 games. Nothing, you know, um, imagine looking back after 15 games and trying uh, and telling yourself that you could judge from the first game. Now, sometimes, it, you know, history is written by the winners. Um, so if everything's going great after 10 or 15 games, um, you could argue that what it showed was our fighting spirit and you know, champions don't lose the first game, but also champions come back from the first game and go on a winning run. So, you know, about our championship hopes, not much can be said at this point. This did a lot to restore the belief that that we've got a good team that can at least perform at the level of the second half of last year. Now we need to see a good run. Different kinds of challenges will come up. This was very... This was a very typical win from the second half of last year. I, in a way, we didn't really see anything new. 
I'm still looking forward to us kicking on to a new level. So uh, I'm still very open-minded, obviously naturally optimistic based on what we've seen along and the depth of the squad. And really the, the, the league is, a, is truly a marathon and we've normally been caught out by that in the closing stretches or we started slowly and therefore had some, some uh, strength when our players came back in the second half of the year to put together a long campaign where we're strong in both halves, you need a deep squad, we have that. And so judging it off one game would, was always going to be meaningless, but that could have really, really held us back and hurt us if we didn't show the necessary fight. The, bo the thing I liked today was we didn't play like a nervous team. We strung our passes together, we created chances, we didn't cower, we fought, um, possibly overly aggressive with one or two players, but, but <laughs> given given how it's, you know, it's not a precise outcome that you can dial in before a game. I prefer that than the than the opposite. I liked what I saw today. I had predicted 2-1 in my head, um, and I thought it was going to be a tight game. So that's what you get at Selhurst Park on a narrow pitch with yeah. a boisterous crowd. And I, I'm not even speaking necessarily about results and what they mean for the, for the title challenge. Yeah. But to your point, I think – you can have concerns about what will hold your team back based on watching them play, right? So you can watch your team and they can be at sixes and sevens at the back for two straight games. And you can say, you know what, we're not going to win the title because we can't defend. Um, or you can watch your team like I did against West Ham and say, wow, we look like we could play for three and a half hours and not score a goal. I'm starting to worry that there aren't enough goals in this side. That was a genuine concern for me. After today, I feel a lot better at the very least about the fact that um, we have goal threat, whether we have the goals remains to be seen. And, you know, it's ticking away now. I mean, now that the football's back, I, I haven't really been thinking about it as much. And I, I know there's some people that obsess about it, but it'll be very interesting to see if, if we bring anyone else in. I think it'd be um, a big gamble of Arsene Wenger to look at the squad he had last season, see how it performed, see where it finished in the table, and believe that, uh, goalkeeper alone was enough of a signing to get us over the hump and, and to a title. It's a very, very deep squad. There's no question about that. The quality throughout the squad is exceptional. It's just a question of whether we have that extra quality in the starting 11 to score the goals we need. And I guess we'll see. We should leave it there. Um, I want to remind everybody that we do have Tim Stillman coming up. We're going to do a brief conversation with him about the game um, and get his thoughts on the start to the season and maybe on transfers because I know he hates talking about them, so it'll be fun to ask him. But, of course, the important people are all here right now, so let's thank them for being here. First of all, myself, Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. But more importantly, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Paul, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you, but even more so after a win. Woohoo! Yeah, our first woohoo of the season. And, James, um, you, you got me in... Uh, the first game with an Oxlade Chamberlain start, but I came back strong with no Oxlade Chamberlain start this week. So, uh, game on, huh? Indeed, indeed. Um, cheers, guys. This was great fun. Yeah. Um, I'm still expecting a. Uh, I'm still expecting a number of Alex Oxlade Chamberlain starts once the uh, injuries start rolling in in classic Arsenal fashion. So. There you have it. Um, send, your abuse, send your abuse. Send your abuse to uh, Gunner Fanatic 49 when the injuries start rolling in. Because he just jinxed it. Um, speaking of expecting, by the way, I am my first child any day now. So presumably we will be coming to you next after the Liverpool match. A fantastic 5-0 uh, 
uh, thrashing of the Scousers. But there is the chance that I will not be uh, able to join the podcast, depending on when the child inside my wife decides that it wants to come into the world. Yeah, boy, yeah. <laughs> so uh, if I don't speak to you, then I, I certainly hope that you guys have a fantastic time discussing that win, and I will be very jealous. But hopefully I will be able to do it. Uh, coming up next, we have Tim Stillman, uh, or Stilberto on Twitter, also a regular on several podcasts and blogs, uh, and we'll go over the game and the start to the season a little more. But until next time, you find gentlemen. Okay, and now it's time for the part of the podcast that people actually listened to the podcast to get to. So those of you that are still here, we appreciate you bearing with all the triviality of the earlier part of the pod so we can get to the main event, and that is welcoming in Tim Stilbert, uh, Tim Stilbert, Tim Stillman of Stilberto on Twitter. You can also find his blogs on many places, but notably on Ars Blog, I believe, every Thursday. Tim, great to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. I understand you've had a few beers and had a good day out, so I think we should get some entertaining responses from you. Of course, yes. Um, you know, one of the nice things, because you go like to every game, including, like I think, you go see the ladies play and you mm-hmm. go to football constantly, but a lot of the people who listen to the pod, whether in England or all over the world, don't get the chance to go, especially on away days. So it may be sort of boring and ordinary to you, but maybe you could just give us sort of a, a breakdown of what the day out was like for you. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean for me personally this is this is a bit of a weird one because Crystal Palace isn't really an away game for me in the real sense of the word. I live um I live according to Google Maps a 4 minute walk from their training ground and um under an hour from their ground to walk. Um so it's 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 actually very very close to me. Um and actually like I I grew up in this area of southeast London. Um, in fact, the last time we lost to Crystal Palace in 1994, the manager's son was my football coach um, at that particular time. So it's it's the anatomy of this particular away game is slightly different for me because it takes me about 20 minutes to get to their ground. Is this um, where you admit you had an, uh, a Crystal Palace shirt under your Arsenal shirt and they've secretly <laughs> been your team all along? No, no, okay, good. no, it's not. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like, you know, today it's, it's kind of in, in, in that respect, you know, it's, it's nice and easy. I get to go to a pub that I know very, very well because I go there kind of in my social life quite a lot. Um, so the away pub for Crystal Palace is right next to, for those of you who know the delights of Croydon, it's right next to East Croydon railway station, um, which is somewhere I've spent an awful lot of my youth, quite frankly, um, so this particular pub is, is, is just somewhere I've been a million times before. Um, and yeah, and, and, and we were home within like 25 minutes. So, um, it's, it's, it's not really like an away game at all because it's, it's much, much closer to me than, than actually the Emirates is. And, uh, the kind of irony is, is the next away game is Newcastle, which couldn't be further away basically. So we've got like the closest and the furthest away like right together um, within a couple of weeks of each other. So, I mean, the anatomy of today was basically, because I live so close by, we got to the pub at like 11 a.m. Um, and we had a few beers and we went to the game and then we went back and we watched uh, the Chelsea and Manchester City game in Croydon and kind of Croydon. There's quite a lot of Chelsea fans in Croydon. So we watched the Chelsea and Manchester City game. And there was a table full of Chelsea fans next to us. And I really, really don't think they enjoyed watching, not just because of 
what happened, but I don't think they enjoyed watching the game in our particular company. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was it was it was a it was a very very nice day out. Lose, losing to Crystal Palace for me personally is just is just an absolute nightmare because everybody I went to school with is a Crystal Palace fan, and um, I trained with them a little bit when I was a bit younger as well. So it's kind of more than most other London derbies, this this is one that, like, for me personally, to to lose is a bit of a disaster because I just I know so many Crystal Palace fans. So it was it was a good day in the end, and uh, topped off nicely by seeing Chelsea lose quite badly. Well, I'm I'm glad that the derby we lost then was the one last week and not this week. Well, obviously, obviously. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, look, if you're going to fall down drunk outside a stadium, it's nice if you wake up and you're right outside your front door. So it's Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and I'm sure they'll send you up to Sunderland or something on a Monday at some point this season. So Definitely. You, you were owed one of these. Well, it sounds like a fun day. Uh, certainly enjoyable watching uh, Mourinho throw his toys out of the pram and, and get drubbed after Arsenal have already won. Um, but as far as the game goes, it was a much-needed response, obviously. Uh, unthinkable to not pick up three points today just in yeah. the context of, of what the expectations were. But did did the performance today, result aside, did the performance today restore some of the optimism you may have felt heading into the season, or are you still finding yourself on the fence a little bit? I um, I, I found the performance really, really encouraging, um, actually, and I thought that was much closer to the real Arsenal, um, as it were. Um, I mean, maybe you could argue that last week was, you know, doing a bit of an Arsenal, but that that really wasn't us, I don't think. And whatever excuses or kind of um, extenuating circumstances there were, I I just think we didn't play last week. Um, And actually for all the talk, and it's come from me as well about, you know, the, the team not functioning and the midfield not functioning. Actually today we played, you know, I'm sure any graphic you look at will show Aaron Ramsey played on the right wing. But, I mean, if you think Aaron Ramsey played on the right wing today, you didn't watch the game. I don't think Basically, anybody played on the right wing. Nobody <laughs> played on the right wing. Exactly, exactly. That's that's exactly it. Um, but, actually, it functioned fine um, because I thought we looked really, really good today. I thought from the first minute we were so positive. My My only, my slight moan today is that I think we should have won 4-1. Um, I think that should have been a comfortable victory and it wasn't. And the last five minutes I was kind of standing there thinking like we should have wrapped this. We really should have wrapped this up. Um, and their equaliser, I mean, it really came out of the blue and I was a bit annoyed about it at the time, but, um, my good friend, Tim, who I sit next to, for those of you who follow him on Twitter, Timbo Slice, he said straight away, he just said, actually, I don't think there's a lot you can do about that because you look at that goal Everyone's where they should be. If the other team's fullback comes up on the corner of the penalty area and pings one in the bottom corner, well, actually, there's not an awful lot you'd do positionally to kind of legislate for that. Um, I mean, you but, could potentially not turn your back on the shot while cupping yeah, your balls, but it's just well, I mean. yeah, yeah. But I mean, if if that shot comes like um, the second goal against West Ham, for example, where it comes right from the centre. And, you know, that that's a lot harder to take. Whereas this one, we're, we're well on top of the game. I think everyone's pretty much where they should be. 
and then their fullback comes up and puts one in the corner. I mean, there's there's a degree to that where you think, well, actually, there's not an awful lot of legislating for that. But my my complaint today is that we should. Well, I mean, well before they equalised, we should have been three 0 up, I think. And I think um, perhaps an Alexis Sanchez that hasn't been at Copper America and has done some form of pre-season training other than running on a beach probably has a hat trick today. Um, and, you know, it was, it, I mean, you know, he, he effectively won us the game just with his desire to get up for that header at the back post that got us the own goal for the second goal. But I think an Alexis Sanchez that's firing on all cylinders probably has a couple of goals before that, to be honest. And um, I know I kind of, I, I tweeted this podcast handle before the game a couple of days ago and I said that I thought you know I expected Chamberlain to have a big game and he was not played today um, and I said also that I'd play Ozil on the left and uh, the reason for that is that every time we beat Crystal Palace it's the guys that are playing wide that tend to do it and you look at where both of our goals came from today they both came from crosses which is not usual for Arsenal but my, my feeling was always that that is where Crystal Palace leave the space and it was where they left the space again today. So I think, you know, Alexis, perhaps an Alexis that was, or even if Danny Welbeck was fit, I think Danny Welbeck might have enjoyed today if he was playing on the right or on the left or something. But, you know, that that would be my only little grumble from today. I'm really, ha- I'm really happy with the points. I'm really happy with the performance. And, and maybe it's just the sharpness thing. And maybe in a couple of weeks, when we're a bit more up to speed, that that becomes, you know, the result reflects the performance more. But I think today for about 80 of the 90 minutes, I thought we were well on top. And uh, I, I really think we should have won that game 4-1, to I, be I honest agree. with you. You know, the, the interesting thing is everybody wanted to talk about Czech and the goals we let up in, in the first match. But the thing that worried me about the first match was the lack of penetration uh, the paucity of chances we created, the failure to look dangerous. And today, for the first 30 minutes at least, we turned that completely around. Um, but but my question to you then would be, we didn't convert those chances, and do you still maybe have a slight worry in the back of your mind that we don't, you know, as much as we have a lot of very good players and a lot of depth in the attacking positions, maybe we are still lacking someone who really has the goals in him that we need and that our front line could could stand to be augmented with one more real scoring threat? I think so, yeah. I mean, I mean absolutely. Like, um, I think if, if you did a straw poll of all Arsenal fans, what, what business would you like to see done in an ideal world before the end of the window? They'd all say the same thing. There's a massive consensus on this. We'd all love a world-class strike and we'd all love you know, that another defensive midfielder, although I thought Arteta was brilliant when he came on today, Totally. Um, yeah. by the way, and actually he won quite a few tackles and he was pretty tenacious. Um, but at the same time, I've kind of always thought that about Arsenal, even when, um, even back in the glory days with the likes of Omri, Bergkamp, Canu, Wiltord, I've, I've always, always come away from Arsenal games thinking we should have scored more goals. Like, I feel like, Actually, Arsenal aren't brutal in front of goal in the way that sometimes, you know, for for a, a simple, a, a similar like contemporary comparison that like Ferguson's United were in terms of when 
they turned it on, they'd go and win 5 or 6 nil, And I always felt like Arsenal would go and win 3-1 on days when they'd really turn it on, you know, because they'd score two or three and then they'd think, right, okay, this is kind of done now. But let me ask you, is that, is and, that uh, style and methodology or is that personnel? Because some of that may be that, you know, we'll always make a pass when a shot would do. Um, you know, so do you think some of that is just how we saw it a lot today? I, at one point I tweeted that if you could win a football match by having more passes in the opposition area than the <clears> opponent, we'd be <throat> drubbing them. Do you, do you think some of it is just what Arsene Wenger drills into them, which is to always look for an open teammate first? A, a little bit. Yeah. I, I think it's a bit of both. And I mean, I think, you know, his style is very much, you know, to be free for and play the game you enjoy. That's like really what his, and you know, a lot of these guys, if they're friends and stuff like that, and I mean, and, and it's a big, big strength. It's about, you know, 95% of strength that these guys want to play together and they want to play for each other. But at the same time, sometimes you can just think, do you know what? You could have just put that in yourself. But then, you know, you look at last week when Ramsey's got Debushi running up to his right and, you know, we're all tearing our hair out when he shoots. You know, he takes on a shot instead and puts it wide. And, you know, Wenger always talks about playing collectively and, like, playing the game that, the players really want to play and that they enjoy. And, 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 you know, that does come with a little bit of a downside. I think it's a big, big upside, but there's a little bit of a downside to it in terms of, yes, sometimes we're not quite ruthless enough in front of goal. And I, I felt that was the case today. And, and, you know, you look at the last five minutes, it was just, it was a lot nervier than it should have been really. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think also given what happened in, in the first match, as the game wore on and we didn't have the game put away, I think nerves were always going to creep in and knowing how Definitely. important the three points were. So it did show some resilience to get it done. Um, I'll ask you, we talked about what was different. We certainly used wide positions on the left better this week. We were too narrow mm. against West Ham. But one of the other key changes is that Cazorla reclaimed that central midfield pairing with Coughlin and, and Ramsey was at least you know nominally put on on the right wing, but not mm. given the central midfield role. And I thought this was interesting. After the match, the manager said, Cazorla is important at the start of the game when the ball comes from our defenders because he can pass from deep midfield to high midfield better than everybody and get out of pressure. That's why I positioned him more central. He is not anymore a player on the flanks who can overlap and cross the ball. And I thought that was interesting because that's precisely mm. where he played him against West Ham. Yeah, yeah. So... Do you think that maybe that's even the manager acknowledging that that... Because I remember at the start of last season, he tinkered with the formation and moving Ozil around to not such great effect. Do you think this is a, a slight admission that maybe that was an error in judgment and Cazorla really does now need to be deep in midfield with Coughlin? Maybe, maybe. But at the same time, like I mean, I mean, I thought that was obvious before the start of the season. But, you know, at the same time... Um, I think he wants Ramsey in there as well, um, and I. But that's what he's got to make a, ch a call there, right? <laughs> I mean, he he, he has he has, and I and I think probably the more I think about it, the more I think the solution to it um, is, and th and this is ultra harsh on Coughlin, who's who's been brilliant, but the more I think the solution to it is to buy a defensive midfield player who has more of Arteta's skill set. Um, and and at least rotate between him and Coquelin. Like for a game like today, like yeah, Coquelin is 
is I think absolutely what we need. But then there are some games where perhaps, basically, I always think we need either Arteta or Cazorla. Um, and if we're not playing Arteta, then I think Cazorla has to play there because of what they bring in terms of building up the play and you know, controlling the ball. They use and... the ball more conscientiously than Ramsey, who, while exactly. he is very aggressive, will take risks that when you have Cochrane next to you, he can't get out of those situations. Exactly. And and actually, you know, for, for there's been a... I, I sensed a little bit of a feeding frenzy against Ramsey this week, but he's so, so good in the centre. And uh, there's there's a reason that, yes, he started from the right today, but without looking at it precisely, I bet if you looked at, you know, the famed heat map... I, you know, he he popped up on on the left and in the centre and everything, and there's a reason for that because he's so good in the centre and he does bring us so much um, with his kind of with his energy and with his running forward off of the ball, and and I mean effectively, basically Ramsey and Cazorla together, I think are a really really good pairing in that one's brilliant on the ball and one's brilliant off of it, but. If you're playing three-man midfield, that means you've only got one space for either Coquelin or Cazorla, and that's you know, uh, sorry, Coquelin or Özil, and that's that's where this kind of dilemma really is. And um, it's I mean it's a really really tricky one, but the the more I think about it, the more I just think that actually the piece we're looking for is that kind of that upgrade on Arteta, that Arteta style defensive midfield player who's a bit younger and, you know, perhaps has the energy. And you look at the big kind of clubs in Europe and that's what they've got at the base of their midfield. You know, Bayern Munich got rid of Luis Gustavo and they brought in Javi Martinez. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I mean, Barca have got the absolute ultimate in... Um, exactly. And they've, you know, they moved Mascherano to centre-half to accommodate him and... You know, I mean, you look, United you look, almost have two now in Sh- in Schneiderlin and Carrick, who both use the ball well. Exactly, um, and I, you look at Madrid; have got Modric, um, and they've all got that player at the at the base of their midfield. And the more the more I think about it, the more I think that's actually the missing piece, and that's probably what the manager's really looking for. But he probably just hasn't found that player yet. It's hard to find. I mean, is isn't the challenge with Coughlin is that he really is a specialist? Uh, enforcer type defensive midfielder, which forces us to to play Ramsey on the right, so that we can create that three in midfield who can control the midfield, and that takes away some of our width, some of our speed on the flank, some of our options in Oxlade Chamberlain or Walcott, or even a yep. Welbeck who adds some real goal threat and some pace. So while Cochrane may be doing his job well, does he force the manager to use our squad in a way that's a little unnatural for him? I, I think so, yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, I mean the thing is, on a day like today where it works, and I think where Arsenal really played well and it and it clicked, you know, you look at again, like I bet if you compared Ramsey and Urs, it was kind of heat maps. I know people don't like heat maps, and I understand why, but I I bet if you compared them, I bet Urzil spent more time out wide today, certainly on the ball, than Ramsey did. Well, he played 10 um, crosses, so that right there, I mean, tells you exactly. how wide he was playing. Yeah. Exactly, but, you know, obviously one of Ozil's big strengths is moving from the centre to the flank. And, and you know, on, on a day like today where we play well and it kind of clicks and actually that understanding's there and Ramsey comes in, knows when to come infield and Ozil knows when to go outfield and the rest of it like that, 
and you know when it works it's it's very nice and I thought today it was very nice I didn't think we lacked width today or anything like that I, th- I thought we looked but then you look at last week where it doesn't really work and and it just looks totally dysfunctional it just looks like everyone is bunching into the same little area of the pitch and uh, like I said earlier I, I felt there was a kind of feeding frenzy against Ramsey after this game and I I really didn't think that Cazorla or Ozil were, were any better than him last week. In fact, I, I thought they were both worse than him in that respect. Um, but, you know, when, when that understanding's really there, it, it really, it's, it's one of those things, it either really clicks or it really doesn't. And when it really doesn't, it looks terrible and it's totally dysfunctional. And when it really does, it looks great and it looks fluid. And I, I, I just thought today it looked okay. It looked like it worked. And um, When we recover possession and, and we have the ball deep in our half or even near midfield, I don't think, certainly not Coughlin, and I don't think even Ramsey are suited to uh, building from the back. No. And making that initial distribution into the advanced part of midfield. And so when Kazorlip was not back there last week, I think it was too easy for West Ham to just pressurize the ball in midfield and when we got possession back there was no one to really make that line breaking pass to start an attack and yeah that's why exactly. is so crucial in there and that's why i would still love another defensive midfielder who's a little more skilled on the ball and a little more positionally aware in possession because it does let the manager decide to put ramsey back into deeper midfield if he wants to because he's not yeah. weighted down with all the responsibility of building from the back exactly Exactly. I, uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, uh, and, and you know, when it kind of comes to this debate as well, I mean, f- for me, I know, I, I know from listening to this podcast a little bit that you don't totally agree. But for me, <laughs> Chamberlain has to start most games. Because it's not that I, th- I disagree. Let me just interrupt you for one second, because I, I, I think a lot of people sort of rounded on me in this point. I love Oxlade-Chamberlain. I think he has a couple of things he has to get out of his game, one of which I talked yeah. about preseason was giving the ball away in bad areas, which hurt us in the first game. Exactly, but, yes. And I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to say this. It's not that I don't think he's a crucial piece, and he looked amazing today when he came on. It's if you're going to play Cazorla and Coughlin in central midfield and Ozil's never going to be benched and Alexis is never going to be benched and it appears Ramsey is never going to be benched, the question is, all right, you're the manager, Tim. Someone How do you makes regularly way. get Oxlade Chamberlain into the side. Who would you leave out to get him regularly into the side right now? And absolutely, and and I mean, for me, if if you're so, you know, if I was the manager, one of one of those midfielders would come out, and Chamberlain would pretty much always play. And uh, and in fact, I'm you know, I'm not. I, it's I don't Ramsey think then, right? It has to be Ramsey. It, it's depending on the game. Yes. Yeah. It's, but I, I kind of understand the manager's conundrum here in terms of that Ramsey's 24 and cause, and Cazorla's 31 and who's, you know, who's going to be playing central midfield for potentially the next five or six years. It's, it's a difficult one, but well, hopefully not next to Coughlin on the evidence of one, you know, the first game. Well, no, no, no. And that's, that's what I mean. Like in terms of, I, you know, that's possibly where I think it needs a little tweak. But I'm I'm not I'm not totally sold on the fact that Ozil can't go and play out wide. I think he can. I think he's fine out there. I really do. That's Don't fine, get me but wrong. It, do, it doesn't get Oxlade Chamberlain on the side anyway. Maybe not, but 
I, I just think he has to play most of the time just because he brings a skill set that nobody else brings. And particularly when Arsenal, particularly in home games when we play against packed defences, because, I mean, I, I've, I've had, for the last three years or so, I've had this kind of one of Chamberlain or Rosicki has to play in home games because we play against teams that put lots of defenders, you know, string them across the box and you need someone that's going to commit them, that's going to bend them out of shape. And, you know, Rosicki, nowadays, wonderful player that he's been. I mean, he's not going to do that for you regularly and that's not his position in the squad now. And I think in home games particularly, Chamberlain is just that player that just commits players. He, you know, basically too often it's it's too much in front of packed defences without him. Whereas with him, you know, he'll commit the fullback, he'll run at someone and he'll create a little bit of panic. Um, and I, I just think we really need that so much of the time. And, uh, and, and to be honest with you, I, I think Wenger agrees with me. I think that Chamberlain, I think most games at the Emirates Stadium this season, I think you'll see Chamberlain starting on the right wing for that exact reason, because he just, he runs at people, he commits them, he creates a little bit of nervousness and anxiety. Um, and he just, he has, he has this wonderful combination of kind of, he's got very good feet. He's very, very strong as well. And he's just got these, these qualities that I don't really see in other players in the squad, except for Rosicki, who, I think we should probably all accept is in certainly in his last season at Arsenal and, you know, is probably going to play a very, very limited role at best. So he's got to get over his knee surgery first. Exactly. Exactly. And I know I've already kept you longer than I said I would. So I, I promise we'll, we'll wrap up pretty quickly here, but um, is, is it me or is the obvious solution at home, certainly against bottom half sides to at least try Cazorla and Ramsey in midfield, leave Coughlin out and start Oxlade Chamberlain on the wing. Couldn't you give that a try and try to win with possession and, and pressing in the opposition half? Absolutely. I think we'll see that. And, you know, we saw it today. Um, you know, I thought it was quite telling that as soon as, you know, Coughlin got to the stage where he was on a yellow card and six warnings, um, when the manager took him off. I mean, straight away when that warning came out, we all said, right, Arteta's coming on. And we could see someone motioning from the bench. And it was Chamberlain that was coming on. That shocked me, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it, it shocked me as well. But it kind of said to me that that was, you know, I kind of felt for Arteta there because it was a bit like, right, this, you know, that's, that's really saying something about your status in the team. We're away from home. It's 2-1 the defensive midfielder is about to be sent off and is being taken off. And actually, before you come on, they've decided, you know, to put uh, Ramsey and Cazorla at the base of the midfield. But I, d I don't think it was a kind of dig at Arteta or his status so much. I think the manager does want to do that. Um, and I think as the season goes on, I think at home we will see that, yes. I mean, he did it, I think, for Sunderland at the end of last season. And I do think we'll see that. Yes. I think we'll see Cazorla and Ramsey at the base of the midfield. I think, um, the fact that we signed Cazorla up to this new contract, I think Wenger possibly sees him as like a, a Perlo type, you know, 
mm-hmm. as this guy that can just sit at the base of the midfield, doesn't really have to have a lot of legs. He's he's quite good at tackling because he's not the most aggressive uh, midfielder, but he's actually not bad at tackling because his timing's quite good. Um, and and for for games where you're not really going to come under a lot of pressure, I think we'll see that. I don't think we'll see it straight away. I think perhaps getting towards Christmas, I think you might see that. Because and and it's quite telling that Cockling comes off quite a lot. He's subbed quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know today it was for very different reasons. But home games, he's usually he's quite often the first player that's sacrificed, and there's a reason for that. Well, it's, uh, it's I, funny. You, you think of your holding midfielder as an important part of controlling the game, but interestingly, Coughlin does not help us control the game. He helps destroy the opposition play. Yeah, He's not a exactly. player who helps us control the game. And, and you know, for however much people don't like him or whatever, when did you ever see Arteta substituted? Um, you know, thinking back to a season or two ago when he was the go-to choice at the base of that midfield. He was never, ever sacrificed. He played 90 minutes of every single game because even, you know, if we needed a goal or if we were losing, because he still set the tempo and he kept the ball so well and he helped us. He was actually an important attacking tool um, from that kind of area of the pitch. And you don't quite see that with Coquelin. And that's, you know, that's not to to criticise him or anything because it's what style. he's brought to the team is exactly what he's brought to the team is great. It really is. Um, and it's brought another dimension to us. But for me, I don't think that Coquelin is for me. It's not a case of right. Coquelin starts every game. Now for me, I think Coquelin starts in an ideal world where you've got them both fit. I think Coquelin starts 70 to 80% of our games, but I, I think Arteta at the moment, until we can find someone, a younger version of Arteta, um, I think he's someone we rotate in rather than just a backup, personally. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree at all. And, I, you know, often I, I think we get saddled with having agendas or opinions that are not nuanced. And, and I, I certainly make life hard for myself by joking around when I criticize players like Giroud, for example. But my most nuanced opinion is that Coughlin is an excellent player and is excellent at what he does, but that style-wise, he forces us to maybe use our squad in a way we wouldn't otherwise or play a little bit differently. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I'll get you out of here with this. Um, I, if if I'm interpreting what I've read of yours correctly, then I think you went into the season feeling that just an improvement in chemistry and togetherness and understanding of one another and fitness and check uh, alone this summer would be enough to catapult us to be genuine title contenders a couple yeah. games into the season now having watched us play uh admittedly with alexis only now just sort of coming into the squad in some semblance of form and having seen the other title contenders play especially the way city looked today with two weeks left of the window do you have <laughs> any difference of opinion I, I don't want you to name names or people but ha- have you changed at all in your opinion that we can do it with what's in the squad or, or are you maybe rethinking that no, no, no. I, no, I haven't at all. And, and especially having watched, you know, the other kind of title contenders, certainly not. Um, I think I think you're going to see the champions lose six games this year. Um, well, we're well on our way then. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't think it's going to be a two or three game thing. I think, you know, the rest of there's a bit more money there. And, you know, even West Ham had some wonderful forward play last week. 
I um I no I I still think that I still think that's a big advantage just to have a, a settled squad that's together. I've seen Arsenal win the league on that basis a few times now. Maybe that may, maybe football's changed and that's prejudicing my view. You know, uh, kind of unjustifiably, um, shall we say? But I've seen Arsenal win the league a few times now, where actually we haven't made that many additions, but we've kept a squad together that's been together for a couple of years. I, I would the I counterpoint complete... just be he's spent big in two consecutive summers, and those two players are the best two players in our squad, and elevated us to back-to-back FA Cups. I mean, we've seen what spending does for other clubs, and in the last two summers, we've seen what spending does for us. Isn't that sort of the blueprint? And, well, absolutely, absolutely. And, and actually, I do remember this time two years ago after we signed Urzo, I do remember saying that I think, you know, right, this is a new team now. And actually, if you, if you go through our squad now, I just urge any listener to, to do it. Just go through in squad number order and actually look at how long they've been here. I think it will surprise you. Um, there's quite a lot of players who haven't been here for a long time, and That's if you point. look at if you look at Arsenal teams that have won the league in the past, it's taken or, or or any team that's won the league in the past, it's taken them a couple of seasons together before it really it really comes together. So I I do still think that. I must say that last week did worry me though, um, and and even in light of you know today's result and things are a lot nicer when you win. I, I was quite worried by last week. I was quite worried by, you know, Wenger saying we were nervous and then a couple of days before we, today we were saying we were overconfident. <laughs> it was and, so weird. And yeah, yeah. And it's a bit, it's a bit like... Would you believe? Yeah, that... that but I, either one is quite bad. Um, I think nervous said, is worse for what it's worth. Because yeah, I think it indicates yeah. that the pressure of a title challenge and expectation is more than they can handle. It, exactly, exactly. And actually, I've, I've, I've got a, a mate who, um, well, I, it's someone I know quite well who actually covers Chinese football. He lives over in China. But he, he said at the end of last season, he said that Arsenal play when there's no pressure on, there's no better team. Um, and he said this at the end of last season. And basically, if you look at the end of, I'm, I'm sure you might have made this point on this podcast, actually, where last season we were brilliant until... We were slightly back in the title exactly. race, and it was it was a bit like, oh, maybe we're in here, and then we just, you know, we we weren't getting results anymore Time until it was impossible bed, again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, and that and that did worry me about last week. Whether it was nerves or overconfidence, whatever it was, I mean, none of them are good, quite frankly. And there is a little bit of me that thinks, do we still have this little kind of thing where we can't play until? Nobody expects us to. And you look at the way we've got fourth over the last few years, you know, it's not often comfortable. It's quite often we're either miles outside and we're in like seventh in March and then and everyone's writing us off and and we pull it together with a run or we're in the title race and we completely fall apart. Basically, whenever the expectation stops, we start playing. And, And I was really worried to hear... You know, whichever of those is true, or whether it's a mixture of them, or or whatever, I I was a little bit worried by that. And there's just this little part of me that's probably been slightly ruined by last week's result. Because even if we win the next ten games, there's a little bit of me that will kind of go, 
is the expectation going to get a bit too much for them? Or, or maybe, maybe it was just, you know, maybe the West Ham game was just a complete one-off. And, you know, even, even the champions lose, um, apart from the last time we won the league, obviously. But <laughs> usually the champions lose a game or two. And, may, and maybe that was just it. Maybe it was just our time. And it just so happened to be the first game of the season. But I don't know. There's just this little part of me that thinks, surely we've gotten rid of that by now. Surely we've gotten rid of that little kind of self-destructive microbe in our in our makeup that just every time you know the eyes of the world are on us that just make us explode. And that that did worry me a little bit, to be honest. I I tipped us for second this year, to be honest, and I I probably wouldn't wouldn't go too far away from that now but yeah that's 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 slightly I, I I can't say it hasn't changed the way I think I mean I in terms of the transfer window I'd love a striker I'd love that lovely controlling passing defensive midfielder but I'm I'm still not I still don't think we're going to find either of those players if you but, want to, if you want to read the tea leaves on, based on absolutely nothing at all, you could argue that there's no way he'd just leave the number nine open unless <laughs> unless he's got. But one then, he what happens to Arsenal's number nines? You know, it's, well, it's we could just... always re-sign Park. He's probably. A <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just you know, I I still don't think those players are out there, and they're no more out there now than they were, you know, when before we lost to West Ham and. I don't know. I I don't think we're going to sign another player. But then there's a part of me that thinks maybe it doesn't really matter who we sign until we get rid of that like little self-destructive microbe that we seem to have that permeates the squad no matter who's playing and no matter who we sign. You know, Absolutely. maybe well, I'll say it a different way. The team we put out against West Ham at home was good enough to beat West Ham at home with no Absolutely. signings. So the notion that we need to make signings, I happen to think we could use an upgrade at one or maybe two positions, and everyone knows what those positions are, but he should have been able to put that, 11, that group of 11 players on the pitch at home against West Ham and win. That wasn't down to quality. That was down to no. something else. Leicester beat them at Upton Park yesterday. Yeah, they thrashed I mean, them. And they beat them on the wings, which is precisely where we didn't attack them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 just so... There's a part of me that just thinks perhaps there's just that little bit that's going to you know, make us leap into title challengers or winners isn't actually down to personnel. And, uh, you know, like you look at last week particularly without wanting to go on about last week too much the one player you know people talk about these things in terms of the transfer market and actually the one player we signed probably cost us all you know cost us at least a draw and you know that's 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 quite worrying that all of a sudden a player like Petr Cech has come into the squad and he started just making like straight away just making stupid brain dead errors and that's you know I think That's... at some point they're going to have to stop showing the goalkeepers Manuel Almunia highlights as training <laughs> video, or this is just yeah. going to go on forever. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, look, I, I promised you it wouldn't go longer than 15 or 20, and it's pushing 40 minutes, so uh, what can I say? It's it's a pleasure to talk to you and to hear your thoughts, and um, I'm glad it was a good day for you and you didn't have to face your neighborhood full of people. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
giving you a bunch <laughs> of shit about losing to I can Dallas. in fact I'm looking out of my living room window and I can pretty much see Crystal Palace's training ground as we speak so there we go well and somewhere at that training ground the ghosts of Shamak and <laughs> Yaya Sanogo are tearing it up and scoring goals um well look if it's all the same to you I'd love to get a chance to have you back on periodically throughout the season and of course after the transfer window shuts and we leave that number nine vacant, we can see if that comes back to bite us. So definitely uh, once again, obviously everyone knows where to find you, but I'll let them know anyway. Uh, his name is Tim Stillman. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Uh, you can find him writing fantastic articles and blogs for a variety of publications. Uh, one of them you may have heard of a little blog out of, uh, out of Ireland called, uh, Ars blog, I think is what he's calling it now. So yeah, that's I, one to I've keep not heard of it either. Yeah, it's one to keep an eye on. It's an up-and-comer. Um, I am, by the way, Pod Whore, or you might know me as uh, Elliot or Yankee Gunner on Twitter. Uh, and by the way, just for everybody listening to this who wouldn't ordinarily listen to it if you enjoyed it and wouldn't mind leaving us a review somewhere, we'd appreciate it so that um, someone other than my mom and dad will listen to it. <laughs> uh, in any event, great to get a win. Uh, Liverpool next week, and I may be swaddling a baby by that time, but uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to... Talk to you on Twitter and talk to you soon, Tim. I really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Really enjoying uh, the pod this season. So, yeah, keep up the good work. Thanks. That's genuinely too kind. All right, cheers. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.